open up our time together. God, we thank you so much for this day. First day of the week, which we come and gather with people of like mind, of like spirit, of like desire. Who seek to bring you glory and honor. And who daily seek to be more like you. And live a life that is worthy of your calling. Worthy of your sacrifice. We know that in and of ourselves we are. We don't deserve how far you've come for us. But we also know that we are worthy because you've made us worthy. Worthy of your son. And the life that he gave on the cross of Calvary that we might live. That we might be reconciled to you along with all creation. To be shaped and molded into the image of our creator. Pray for the next few moments as we open your word that we would be still. That the things that stand in, in the way of our understanding of our recognition would be removed. That our, that our minds would be open to you. And that we would be available to your spirit in the way that you move within us. That we would be transformed and reshaped and molded into your likeness. And as we leave this place, I pray that we continue to be aware of the way your spirit moves. That we would follow where you lead. That we would listen to those urgings, those guidings that your spirit gives us each day. That we'd be aware of the different forms of ministry that we walk past most days. And that we would be your ambassadors in this world. Give us courage, give us boldness, and give us humility. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Masterpiece in progress. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 22. The second half of that chapter is where we're going to be today. And, and the message that we have in the lesson today is much like the message of uh, the first two sections of this series and will be much the same for the last several and that is simply this God has come to reconcile you that God is a God of reconciliation of restoration and if you will allow him to he will create you into this masterpiece and this beautiful work of art created, molded, shaped, formed in the image of the Creator. I searched and searched and searched for a picture of these two families together. Early on, the pictures don't exist because the two families couldn't coexist. This is Devil Ants Hatfield. Um, long, long ago, before... Uh, before the hills got dusty, right? No, they were very dusty. Early 1900s, these two families, the Hatfields and the, and the McCoys, had a fight over a pig. And that fight over a pig turned into over a hundred years of brutal hatred, bloodshed, murder, violence. And it started over a pig. And it lasted for so many years, almost a century or more than a century, so much so that probably many of the people who were carrying on this great feud had no idea what they were feuding over except for a last name. A clan belonging 
a place that uh, a family that someone belonged to and simply because you bore a a different last name we can't be friends but in 2003 the two families got all of the existing people together and signed a peace treaty if you will a truce to all the feuding and they said in 2003 why are we carrying on this feud why do we carry on this hatred this emotion of anger we have no idea where it came from and they agreed that they would put all those things from the past to rest they got together and they officially signed a document of peace a truce if you will between these two families that had been feuding for over a century Ephesians chapter 2 takes us through a very similar process as as Paul talks about how this feud between the Jews and the Gentiles can be overcome by the gospel of Jesus. Let's read these 11 verses here in Ephesians chapter 2. It was began for us a moment ago. So then, in verse 11, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah, for He is our peace, who made made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it, When the Messiah came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building being put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord, and you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. See, here's the thing. When we walk in fellowship with God, we then are able to walk in fellowship with other believers in spite of the differences that we may have. I don't know if you know this or not, but you are different than me. And you are different than one another. You have different ideas. You have different thoughts. You have different practices. You have all kinds of things that create in you a unique person. I would say even in terms of some of the things in Scripture you and I may think and read differently, our experiences cause us to to see one thing over another and what you may see in one section of Scripture I may have never seen before and I may see something totally different. Something different may leap off the page at me and affect my heart because my life has been different than yours and your life has been different than mine. 
And if the blood of Jesus Christ can unite Jews and Gentiles, and if Hatfields and McCoys can come to be in the same place together, as Christians, as believers, we've got to understand that we have got to put aside the things, the differences that we have. There are some very core issues in which we agree. And those core issues are what make us Christian. We believe in Jesus. That He's the Son of God. That His death, burial, and resurrection affords us an avenue through baptism in which we can achieve salvation in Him. That we are saved by grace through faith in Him. And because of that, we are called to live a life that is so very diametrically opposed to the culture in which we live. And the further and further away we get from that truth of who Jesus is and what He has done and how we come into contact with the mercy and the grace of the Father, we have to be willing to walk with one another and get to know one another. Because we have Jews and we have Gentiles and Paul says, look, in Christ both are brought near. He brings near those who are far and, and he brings peace to those who are near. That all may come together in one body brought to peace in Christ Jesus. And though they are very, very different, they are unique in one thing and that is that they need the Son of God. And when we walk in fellowship with God, it enables us to walk in fellowship with others. I had this uh, illustration that uh, I'm going to kind of go with you, okay? Try not to hit the person in front of you, but here's what I want to see. I want to see your hands out in front, thumbs up. And now if you turn your thumbs down like this. And then if you cross them over, you got it, you got it there, Richard. So if you cross them over here, now then flip them. <laughs> so, so we try it again, okay? Hands out in front, thumbs up. Thumbs down. Cross them over. You got it? Now flip. <laughs> doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work because I'm cheating, right? So when they go like this and you cross them over like this and I kind of point, you come back over this way. Well, guess what? I can do it this way, and I can flip it over, and I know that it's right because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, and so when it's uncomfortable, I know that it needs to be set right, and I know that it's in that right space. And frequently, when, when Christ comes in to set something right, it's really uncomfortable at first. And we have this thing in our mind that Jesus comes to flip culture on its head, that, that we've been told often that Jesus is going to come in and he's going to turn your life upside down. And, and we think that that's what we've seen before. Jews and Gentiles probably think Jesus is coming here and he's completely messing everything up because with Jews over here and Gentiles over here, things are working pretty good, we think. And Jesus is going to come in here with all this love your enemy garbage, bless those who mistreat you, be kind to those who curse you. The first will be last and the last will be first. Gentiles are allowed into the body. Jesus is preaching this radical stuff. And it's making me really uncomfortable. 
See, the truth is not that God, that Jesus, that Christ comes into your life and completely turns you on your head. The truth is you get really uncomfortable so that he can set you right. That he can reconcile you with who you were created to be. But we've grown so comfortable in this world that we're okay with the discomfort. And we think that the discomfort is normal, that the dissonance is normal, that the world in which we live is normal. And he says, no, this is not normal. This is not what you were created for. And I'm going to come in and I'm going to make you uncomfortable and I'm not going to flip your life on its head. I'm going to turn it right side up. I'm going to set you back in place where you were made to be. We went to Eureka Springs just a few weeks ago, on our, or a couple weeks ago on our way uh, to Nebraska. And in, in Eureka Springs, they have a section of the Berlin Wall. I don't know if you remember when the Berlin Wall fell. But as I was reading through this passage, Paul talks about the dividing wall of hostility. I remember watching the news of all of the East Germans standing on the wall, dancing on the wall when it came crashing down in the, in the big party that erupted from something as simple as a wall in the middle of city and east, dividing east and west Germany. Didn't seem like it was that great of a feat for my young self. I knew what it represented. I, I, I knew in some way at least what it meant, but it seemed like a wall that you could pretty easily just hop over. Maybe you could, maybe you couldn't. It was pretty heavily guarded, but it was something much more symbolic than that. There was so much more to this wall coming down than simply politics. And as I think about all that transpired with that and think about what Paul is saying here about Jews and Gentiles and about us being reconciled to the Father, this dividing wall of hostility is abolished by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That because of what Jesus has done, there is nothing any longer separating, not just you and I from each other, but there's no longer anything separating you and I from God. That before Jesus came, there was this law, there was this sacrifice, there was this great curtain. And we see at crucifixion, at the death of Jesus, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, that everything now is open to the people of God. There is nothing standing between God and His people because of what Jesus has done. And if God can say there is nothing standing between you and me, how can we hold things in between us and other Christians? Other believers? The gospel is about reconciliation and about restoration. Paul talks about those who are far and those who are near and how Jesus makes it possible for all to be brought to peace in verses 13 and 17. He talks about, you know, the human body. We've talked about the church and the body of Christ and how the body works together and every part is different. 
And you think about how a building is constructed. You've got frame pieces. You've got in the middle pieces. You've got posts and pillars and walls. And some are load-bearing and some are not. But they all have a purpose. They all are a part of the structure. And all of it is, is, is tied back to this cornerstone. The chief cornerstone from which all things are laid and gauged and measured. As long as Christ is our cornerstone. As long as Christ is the head of the body in which we are in. The gospel is about reconciliation. And about restoration. And here's this part that I really struggle with with what Paul says here. And that's this. Because of the cross, we know where we are headed. I'm good with that. I I like that because of the cross, I know that heaven waits for me and there's a place there, there's a room with my name on it and that gives me such great hope and it gives me a reason to do and live the way that I live. But also because of the cross, we are guaranteed citizenship. And I wonder sometimes if I live with the proper understanding of citizenship. We've been dealing this last week with a situation that I fear is going to be maybe quite familiar to us. Uh, Brother Javier is a member of the, a member of the church here, um, a baptized believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, was detained in Alabama. He's trying to get his citizenship. He's been going to his meetings. He's been meeting his appointments. Uh, but, you know, when you're in that state of limbo, all you have to do is say one wrong thing. Answer one question wrong in a foreign language. And you can be detained and deported pretty quickly because you're not a citizen here. I don't care how hard you've tried, how long you've been here, what kind of hoops you've already jumped through, you're not a citizen and you don't belong here. And, and I know what it means to be a citizen of this country. I am happy I am so grateful for the freedoms that I have by being a citizen in this country. But I know it's not perfect. But when we become children of God, when we become Christians, he says, you are no longer citizens in an earthly kingdom. You are citizens in my kingdom. Not only are you guaranteed a place in the future, you are guaranteed a place right now in the kingdom of God. Do we defend our eternal citizenship in the same way that we defend our earthly citizenship? Do we pursue an eternal citizenship in the same way that we pursue an earthly citizenship? Do we understand not only are we afforded certain rights and privileges by being citizens of a kingdom, but we also have certain things that we are obligated to because we are citizens of that kingdom? Are we willing to go to war for the kingdom in which we exist, in which we belong? It's hard for us to associate those same motives and those same feelings with being entered into the kingdom of God. But you know where your citizenship lies. And and anything that happens on this earth, anything that revolves or exists within your earthly citizenship is going to perish and pass away. But you belong to the kingdom of God because of what Jesus Christ 
has done. We live in a place where we belong. We call it home. For some people, it's the land they've been looking for all of their lives, and you see the joy on the faces of those who finally receive a citizenship in this place. But essentially what Paul is saying here is that your passport isn't blue or black. It doesn't have a stamp of some other embassy on it. It doesn't have any kind of an earthly flag that flies on it. You belong to the kingdom of God. You are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you're no longer a Jew nor Gentile. You're no longer a slave nor free. It's not about being male or female. It is about being Christian. It is about being one in Christ that all are brought near. brings us a different kind of hope, a different kind of joy and a different kind of peace. Being reconciled from God means that Jesus gives us peace both with God and with other Christians. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers Not the peace lovers. Not those who exist in peace or who dwell in peace, but those who make peace. Because God has made peace with us, we make peace with one another, and we are to be a people who are about making peace. Look at what he says in verse 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of God's household. Verse 22, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. How can we be built together? How can we be fellow members if we are not making peace? And and that's something so much more than just simply coexisting or just putting up with one another. And I think we get really adept at times, as, as both as humans and as Christians, of just simply putting up with one another. We're called to be a people who make peace everywhere we go. You have people in your life, don't you? You have people in your life who have this habit of just making your life a little tense. That when they walk in the room, you know that an argument's not far behind. I have friends that way. I have family that way. Maybe sometimes I'm that way. But see, the thing is, if you, if you would just understand something, the world is easier when you all agree with me. Right? If you could just all see it my way, we would all get along so much better. But we all kind of have that mentality at times. Seek first to understand and then to be understood is a truth that I don't live with very well. But I know it's a truth that brings about so much more peace and harmony 
than one who is always seeking to be understood. But we are called in Christ to be a people who walk into a space and create peace, not discord, not strife. But when we walk into a room because we are children of God, people say, man, I'm glad they're here. Because when he's here, when she's here, man, things just go so much better. And I know that if they're there, if some kind of argument wells up over here, as soon as they walk up and enter that conversation, argument dies. My fear, especially in certain circles in which I am involved and live, sometimes my presence acts more like gasoline than a suppressor for that strife. I want my opinion to be heard too. Because I guarantee you, both or all of the people in this other conversation don't have it quite the right way because, of course, you know, I've already said it, I do. And I'm going to come in and institute my opinion and my thought, and everyone's going to go, oh, oh, wise one. Why weren't you here when we first started this conversation? All of these things could have been avoided, but that's not the way that we make peace, is it? first to understand and then to be understood because we realize something we are not citizens of this kingdom any longer we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and we are Christians first before we are any other citizen we are citizens first of the kingdom of heaven before we are citizens of the United States or any other nation or country from which you may come I asked the professor that one time, I said, is, as we were talking about different things that we struggle with, and I said, do you think this is a struggle all over the world, or is it just with American Christians? And he said, that is the problem. He said, what you just said is exactly the problem with the church today, that we are American Christians, not Christian Americans. And yes, it's a problem globally. Because we put more stock in our earthly citizenship than we do our heavenly one. But if we would all learn to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven first, and then everything else falls under the reign of that, said our whole life changes because what we realize is that it's all about reconciliation and restoration. That is the message of Scripture from the very beginning, and it is the message of gospel. And it is the message that you have to proclaim to the world in which we live. You can be reconciled to the creator of the heavens and the earth through our Lord Jesus Christ.